Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is August 7th, 2022. August 11th, 2022. I'm not going to live in the past. The title of our message tonight is Uprising. Uprising. We are excited to share with you our reflections on the last few messages that have been preached at LCM and encourage you with what the Lord has been showing us. Tonight, we are going to continue in the pace and attitude that the Lord has been setting for our body. Amen. The voice of God has resounded from the heavens, and we are on the path to war. Amen. And the cadence of heaven is bellowing as the enemy is baffled below. It is astoundingly, amazingly, and apparently before us that we must arise to attain the admonition that Christ is advocating for. Yes. We know in our souls that those he chose must muster for the role. Oh, come on. The role God is leading us towards is one that is moving forward on the, onto the work of officers. Tonight our goal is to extol the glorious portrayal of what Christ is beckoning to all while addressing the pitfalls that make us prone to stall. <laughs> Tonight will be exciting, yeah. enlightening, and striking as we continue to strive for the prize that we are driving towards in Christ. We will not pout, stop, drop, or drown out the oh, voice of God on. that will rout yeah. the enemy. We are going to rise up, stand together, and fight tough for everything that God has called us. Are you ready to begin the uprising tonight? Oh, yeah. Let's start by remembering the words of prophecy that were given on Sunday morning. Let's do this. Prophecy number one says, Behold, my character passes before you, and I declare my name in your presence, and you will become like me. My character is infusing with yours. My desires are changing yours. My heart is changing yours, and I have never lost. I have never been overcome, and I have never changed. My character is passing before you, and you will never be the same again. Now, this word had me at the altar last time. His character passing before us. Him walking before us, and not in the sense of just walking through. In the sense that it is transformational. It causes what is in him to be infused in us. Amen. It causes something different to be extracted from his character and his presence. And that is what I want. It's like when he says in Exodus 6 too, I am Jehovah and I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as so should I. But by my name, I did not make myself fully known to them. He's revealing a new facet of who he is and that is exciting. His character, I don't know him fully. But I am knowing him more every day, and that is extremely exciting. To behold him more clearly, not only is that the greatest privilege that you could ever have, it's the most fascinating thing you could actually aspire to. It is to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, to become like him, ever-changing, ever-increasing, and ever-glorious. Amen. That second word of prophecy came from Miss Joellen Brown. Well, it came from the Lord through Miss Joellen Brown, who's still batting a thousand. I am pouring out prestige and honor on my people who have chosen to follow after me. I am opening up the gates and I am pouring upon you new weights, weights of responsibility, weights of leadership. I am calling you up to a higher place, for I have chosen you to be warriors in my kingdom. 
the faithful, those who I have chosen to seek my face, to follow my word and to be obedient in that place that I have set you. You are my chosen ones. You are the ones that I will use for the kingdom purposes that I have designed you for. Hear my voice. I am pouring out prestige and honor upon those who have, who have chosen me and will submit to my ways. Saints, the Lord speaks to us very clearly. He's making himself known very clearly. The word prophesied to us states that the Father is opening up the gates and he is pouring something. What is he pouring, saints? He's pouring weight. He's pouring responsibility. He's pouring the weight of leadership. These are, it's a weighty kavod. It's his glory and the responsibility of leadership. We are his chosen ones. We are chosen to be warriors in his kingdom. Chosen to be faithful saints. Faithful servants who treasure up and guard the deposit inside of them. Amen. Saints, are you guarding the good deposit? Yeah. Faithful to seek his face. Are you seeking his face? Yeah. Are you faithful to follow and obey his word? Yeah. Yes, you are. All right, we're going to jump into the word and probably the best, best part that we could on an aspect of the character of God. Yeah. We're going to start in Exodus 17, verse 15 through 16. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Church, you know that a banner is a standard that is used to establish a sign. God is raising up a banner. He's establishing a sign. And this sign is predominantly used in war. But this sign means that God's raising up a standard saying, I will be at war. I am going to war now. We are at a place in this body where our hands are stretched to the heavens, yearning to partner with our great king and commander. The Lord is addressing us now as officers. He is giving us commands now as officers. And he is giving us insight into his battle plans and tactics now as officers. He is at war with Amalek. And everything that Amalek represents from generation to generation. And he's addressing us that we should join him in the battle. Church, we are fortunate to have been brought into God's combat operations center. He's addressing us as soldiers, and he's not addressing us as just lowly privates. He's addressing us now as officers. Psalm 24 speaks of the greatness of our king and commander. All right, let's do Psalms 24, verse 8 in the ESV. It says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord Jehovah, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, Jehovah of hosts, Sabaot. He is the King of glory. Amen. Now, hey, are you dead? No. Who is this King of glory? No. Yeah. I mean, this is, he's declaring who he is. He's the creator of heavens and earth. He reigns in his throne and he reigns with glory. You know, that to him belongs the heavens and the earth. Yeah. To him belongs everything that fills it. His is the kingdom, the power, the glory, the preeminence, the majesty. He is worthy and deserving of it all. The, the riches and honor belong to him. 
He's exalted as head above all. The best that you can do is what you did today. Respond to him. Respond to his glory. The Lord, he is mighty. And he's not mighty in a pseudo, you know, fake PlayStation type of war. He is king of glory and he is a man of war. He, his is the victory. When he makes a plan, he brings it about. He declares a word and it comes to pass. He has never lost or he doesn't know defeat. At his presence, everyone bows. Everyone confesses. Everyone trembles. And everyone gives honor. You can stand at such a great and mighty presence. Everyone must bow. Amen. Our God is glorious. And he has been marching out for us. He is the one, the ancient of days. The one that walks through the ancient paths. And the ancient doors must open to him. He's coming in. And we must render him all glory. He's marching out today. Look, the current Harris-Brandon administration is trying very hard to make you subjects of the Democratic Party. I've even heard that they've appointed a Gestapo to break into anyone's house that seems to be against the current administration. You know, when you think of yourselves as subject to a king like Brandon, that's not a lot of fun, is it? But when you're a subject of the king of glory, man, it changes everything, doesn't it? I want to read to you about a facet of our king of glory. This is Isaiah 42, verse 13. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Man, I love that. I love the champion that is our God. You know what's better than that? That's not what the Hebrew says. You guys remember on Sunday, Exodus 15.3 says that God is a man of war. He's an ish milchama, a man of war. What's great about this verse is it's not champion. It's ish milchamot. He's not a man of war marching out. He is a man of wars marching out. This means that our God has a perfect fight card. He has been racking up wins in his corner, and he has zero losses, and he plans to rack up more wins, church. And he plans to use his body on this earth to do it. Hey, what does Judges 6, 11 through 12 say? The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So Gideon, Gideon, what are you doing threshing wheat in a wine press? Look, Gideon's in a state of defeat here. The Midianites have been set by God to oppress the people of Israel because of their sin. He's sitting in a place of defeat, in a place where he shouldn't be. Moreover, he appears to be working, but we can bet you he's not having great results. Saints, can you rightly thresh wheat in a wine press? Why? Because a wine press is down in the ground. The grapes are crushed in a hole down in the ground, and it sits there and ferments. Saints, the wheat needs the wind in order to blow away the chaff. A wine press is a big hole in the ground where grapes were pressed and the juice would accumulate. The threshing floor would be a large slab or a stone above ground exposed to the winds that would separate the wheat grain from the chaff. If you place yourself 
in a hole, there won't be much wind for you to separate or, or sift the chaff from the wheat. Oh, Saints, wow. this is a good word. And it's not something that's new to us, but the Lord is bringing it to our attention again. We need to know that we cannot rightly sift out the chaff in our life and bring about the good wheat when we're in the wrong place. Look, sometimes we seem to be working and striving, but we're not prospering. You're using the tools backwards, and it's not bearing fruit. Or maybe you're trying to work while hiding in a hole. You want to present yourself as working, but you're really fearful, so you're hiding back. You would rather hide while appearing like you're working. Come on. Come on, yeah. But thanks be to God that that's not where Gideon stopped. That's not where God stopped. He saw Gideon exactly as he was. In a hole, threshing wheat on a wine press. I mean, he knew it all. But in that state of defeat, of weakness, of purposelessness, the Lord says, hey, Jehovah, the Lord is with you, almighty warrior. Gideon does not see himself as a warrior, and much less as a mighty one. He later questions if God is actually with him. Look at all this. I mean, we're so defeated. Where is God? He sees his clan or his family as the weakest. And he himself sees himself as the least in his family. So think about the bottom of the barrel. That is who I am. Yet God comes and says, hey, I am with you, mighty warrior. Your, your father thinks differently of you in such dire circumstances. You may be in a hole and he's speaking to you. I know who you are. You are my son. I am raising you up from, from this. Hey, this is an incredible and simple fact. You are a mighty warrior. Stop working backwards. Let's do that. Threshing wheat in a wine press is not good. And go, and, and, but now he says, go in the strength of yours. Why? Because I am with you. Because you are mine. Because I've spoken a word to you and it's coming to pass. Our father is revealing himself to us and he does not leave us an option of whether we want to rise or not. Come on, church. Our God is in the business of making warriors. Yeah. And business is good. Yeah. You may not feel like a warrior, but he is a warrior, and he'll call the warrior right out of you, church. And yeah. hey, let's turn to Joshua 5, verse 13, and we're going to see a warrior interacting with God. Yeah. Because that's essentially what we are doing as a body. We are warriors. God has called us to be warriors, Amen. and we're going to interact with God on a whole new level. Amen. Verse 13 says... Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Notice what's going on here. Joshua is already a warrior. This process has been going on in him for a long time. He's been at war before. He's already an officer, and he's already a leader of the people. But he's finding out very quickly he's not the one who's leading this war. Notice Joshua's assumption. He thinks he is the noble one in asking the question to this man. He, he's assuming that he is the one in charge by saying, hey, buddy, you with us or you for our enemies? You better answer right now. No. <laughs> he thinks that he's noble. He assumes that he is the supreme commander. 
But he quickly realizes that he's not the noble one. He is just serving for a noble purpose. And this man makes that very clear. He's definitely an officer in God's army. But in this verse, he has just met the true commander of the Lord's army. And this man is revealing to Joshua the true state of his heart. Now, he does respond correctly in showing reverence and paying homage to the one in authority over him. That's very, very important. When you think you're the one in charge, when you think you're the boss, and then you talk with the boss, and he humbles you, you better show reverence. You see, what Joshua really needs to do in this moment is he needs to fall in line behind the commander of the Lord's army. He needs to follow in his steps. And saints... If Joshua needed to fall in line, well, you can be sure that we need to fall in line as well. Let's talk about how we fall in line. Go back to a familiar passage in 1 Timothy 3 and pick up in verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Look, whoever aspires, whoever longs for, desires, or craves to be an an overseer, they desire a noble task man who wants to be an officer in this place I do. I do. who wants to be an overseer notice that the verse does not say that desiring to be an overseer is a noble desire but rather it says that it is a noble task desiring to be an overseer doesn't make you noble the task is noble if you walk out and accomplish that task you will be noble it also doesn't say that the man is noble in desiring such a task. Also note that Paul is not referring to an overseer as a title or position, but rather as a task, a deed, work, or labor. So it's not about a position. It's not about a title. The work itself is what is noble. Hey, we, we've read that passage, and I, I have made the assumption. It's like, yeah, my desire is noble. I want to be an overseer. I want to be an officer. And guess, I'm, we're not preaching against what we've been preaching about, so bear with us for a second. I've assumed that my desires were noble when I did this. But that's not what the verse says. The, the, the verse says that the task is noble. Now, yeah, so we know what follows this. Did everybody do their homework and studying through First Timothy 3? Okay. The five points that were highlighted on Sunday were that overseer is to be above reproach. He is to be sober-minded. He is not quarrelsome. He can manage his household, and he's well thought of by outsiders. Above reproach is to be blameless, to be unrebukable, to be irreproachable. Saints, are we working toward being uh, uh, above reproach in this place? A sober-minded person is temperate and vigilant. It is one who has their mind set on doing the will of the Lord. That person is not quarrelsome. They abstain from fighting. We don't get entangled in civilian affairs. That person can manage their household. They're a protector, a guardian, and they care for those that they're responsible for. Those are the ones that can actually be overseers in the house of God. Well thought of by outsiders. Excellent record. That person has an excellent record or an excellent testimony, and they cannot be testified against. Saints, those are noble tasks that will identify a noble overseer. All right. So we just read five noble characteristics. All right. 
We have already established that we want to be overseers. We want to be officers, right? And given that we have established that, we may be tempted to want to become noble in order to be an overseer. Like, like getting the process backwards, maybe a little bit like Gideon. This would not be a noble intention. Desiring this noble task does not make you a noble man. A noble man is one that is fit for that noble task. The desire to become noble is independent from the desire of being an overseer. You don't want to become, you don't be, want to become noble just because you want to be an overseer. That, that is getting this backwards. The desire to become a noble man comes from the desire of being like the one and only that is noble. The one good father. Amen. The work of an overseer is a noble work. It is the father's work. It's reserved for noble men, like their father, with noble intentions, with the heart of the father. So regarding our intentions, we're going to dig into this deep. We know that our father searches the hearts and repays to us according to our works. And you know why is that? Because whatever's in your heart will ultimately come out as your works, in your words. So it's both. It's the same. Psalms 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So if you're in for this today, today is your lucky day. We're going to search our hearts deeply today. So you want to be an overseer in God's army. You want to be an officer in God's army. The question is why? You raised up your hand. Why? Could it be that we value the position more than the work? We value the title more than actually what it means to do the work of an overseer. Oh, yeah. We may see our progress as determined by climbing the church corporate ladder. And receiving that title is just more affirmation for ourselves. I mean, this is the mark of success and progress, isn't it? To be ordained. No. We want to become something in the kingdom of God, don't we? We want to be recognized because we're, we're something in the kingdom. Maybe we're just hungry for affirmation in the way of more responsibility. If everybody can just see all the responsibility I have, then I can be affirmed by everybody's attention. Maybe that's it. Maybe we are simply just desiring affirmation and we think that if we can have a title, we can finally have the affirmation. Maybe we think that, you know, if I'm doing this right and I can become an overseer, then other people would notice it and they would begin to give me the praise of their mouth. Actually, that might be just it. It might just feel good to be noticed, right? Yeah, maybe we crave recognition, like man's recognition. I mean, does anybody really want to go unnoticed in the church of God? Well, we have an honest man. Even though Jesus said, let your works be done in secret. (laughs) We say we are okay with that, but when we pass unnoticed, our hearts are broken. Man, nobody noticed the word that I shared on the 12-man group. Nobody noticed how well I did this. God's noticing your whining. (laughs) Or maybe we just want to feel useful, right? 
and I just want to feel like my gifts are being used in the house of God. I came to LCM with all these great gifts, and I want to just be used. I mean, I feel like my daily life isn't really that fun and exciting, like not worthwhile. So please add more responsibilities to my life because I'm not satisfied with my life already. <laughs> that will make it fun and add worth to it. Yep, maybe that's it. Maybe I just want my life to be worth living, just not bored. Saints, needless to say, all of these intentions that Brother Treister just went through, they are devious and, like our hearts, desperately sick. Sick. They seek to fill a void in our hearts rather than to overflow from our hearts. How did we just go through that list? You think we were, we were just cherry-picking things? No. These are things that are inside of our heart that the Lord is rooting out. Look, attempts to work for affirmation rather than working from your affirmation, that is desperately sick. We need to work because we've already be, been affirmed, like Gideon, that we are mighty warriors. And so we step out in faith and go in the strength we have. Look, these intentions, they're selfish. They're tainted with the desire to be approved by men. And like James and John, they could be evidence of not really knowing what the spirit we are of. Saints, we need to be careful and we need to ask the Lord, like Psalm 139 says, search our heart and see if there is any offensive way in us. Lord, are my intentions pure? Are my intentions to be an overseer, to be an officer, like you said that I must be, are they pure? Okay, so we noticed not all of you were eager to say yes when we asked, who wants to be an overseer or an officer? Yeah, it, it was not the greatest hallelujah or anything <laughs> like that. Look, that doesn't mean that you will be spared from the examination of our hearts. Indeed, you should have raised your hand and shouted yes. All right, so let's talk about this. Why some of us are hesitant to say that we do want to become overseers? What, what within us just causes us to kind of like, should I, should I, should I raise my hand? What, what is it in you? All right. Why don't, want, why don't you want to be an officer? Why don't you want such a noble task? Why are you hesitant to courageously say that you want to be an overseer, an officer in God's army? I just don't want to be prideful, brother. Yeah, maybe that's humble. What prevents you from voicing that you desire, that you aspire this noble task? If there's something noble, shouldn't you be desiring that, 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 that which is noble? Yes. I'm like, yes. Now, we're not going to get there yet. Why is it that you didn't raise your hand and shout hallelujah? Could it be that we don't regard ourselves as noble for such a noble task? Meaning, we're more conscious of the fleshly son of man that we are and that we are supposed to be putting off. Instead of being overwhelmingly conscious of the son of God that we are, okay? And which we're supposed to be continuously putting on. Being renewed in the image of the Father. Which men are you more conscious of? Yeah. If you're more conscious of the fleshly man, this is faithless. It's being more conscious of your ignoble human stock than of the noble and royal stock that is, comes from your Father. It's, being, it's denying that you are an heir of God and co-heir with Messiah. You know, Paul says that we are God's offspring. Come on. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're trapped in the failures of the past. And maybe even of those today. 
Like, it takes us a week to, to, to restore ourselves from a failure, right? And, and we don't let go of the failures of the past, and that's still biting us right now. And we think, no, well, I, I'm never going to rise up from this. I, am, I guess I'm submitted to this lower position. Not an officer. That's not what I'm good for. Maybe this is only for special people like the pastors here today. Well, maybe you already forgot the message that says that you're not special. And nobody is. But of course, if you rise up in faith from that pitiful attitude, yeah. trusting that your father is able to accomplish more than you can think or imagine, then that, that will make you special Amen. and fit for a noble task. For those of you that didn't raise your hand or say yes with excitement, and, and I saw you, could it be for fear of failure? Could it be that maybe you're just the calculating kind? You weigh the cost of what it means to rise up or join the uprising. But at the end, weighing the cost turns into inaction for fear of failure. Have you ever seen myotonic goats? As soon as the light of the call shines upon you, <laughs> you fall right over and you're just paralyzed. So you avoid driving for fear of crashing. Well, this is not wise. It's not wisdom to calculate. This is faithlessness. The fact of the matter is that failures will come. They will come. But if you act in faith, led by your good father, your success is also certain. You can stand on that. With success comes more responsibility. More responsibility in the flesh. The thought of increasing responsibility is terrifying. So therefore, I just don't want it. I've already got enough responsibility. Or maybe you're just accustomed to bearing the weight on your own strength. And since your own fleshly strength is quite limited, you shy away from rising up because that's all you know how to lean on is your own strength and not the strength of the Father. Maybe you say to yourself things like, you know, when I get better, when I get better at this, when I can actually get into a groove, when I can actually stop sinning and hiding it, then I will rise up. Well, your life may be required of you tomorrow, and what would happen if you never rose to the call today? If you don't feel equipped, then get equipped. But act now. Man, God will do a lot with a man who is acting now on what he knows he needs to act on. But God can't do a lot for somebody who's waiting for God to always be giving him a sign or doing something. Rise up, church. This matter is in your hands. And the word of God is not far from you. It's near you. And it is in your mouth. It has to be on your lips. Proclaim it, church, and join the uprising. Amen. So we're not done yet, and we're going somewhere, but we need to make sure we touch every area of every heart in here. Could it be the ignoble intention of not desiring weight or responsibility? Look, 1 Peter 5.3 says, tells us that overseers must shepherd God's flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of to the flock. And maybe that's what scares you. That's maybe becoming an overseer, becoming an officer scares you because you know that more eyes are on you. More, more are watching you as you're setting an example. You're not simply teaching or preaching. 
Because this entire congregation can do that, but lives are being watched. What you're doing day in and day out is being watched, and maybe that makes you fearful. But to rise up as an example of others, tell others, hey, look, watch my life, watch my doctrine closely, and come follow me, maybe that's what scares you. Maybe being able to speak up and live out the word of God, like it says in that passage, scares you. You're afraid, so you hid what was given to you to multiply, like Matthew 25, 24 says. So in fear, you would rather take the deposit given to you, hide it, and let it rot inside of you. Instead of being faith-filled and faithful to multiply the deposit entrusted to you, you're okay with hiding in the background. Saints, again, this came from our heart. We're not cherry-picking. This is what the Lord is dealing with us with, and he's dealing with each one of us in this body. The work is not glamorous, and it's highly responsible. Have you ever felt that way? There's not much glory out of this, but I can feel the weight of it. There's a lot of responsibility here, but there's not much reward on the other side. Have you ever felt that? Maybe you have come to realize, and rightly so, hide it, uh, and rightly so, that the work of an officer in the kingdom of God is not glamorous. I mean, you become the servant of all. You have little me time. You sleep less. You get rebuked more. You fall more. You get corrected more. No, thank you. I don't want that weight of responsibility. Maybe you are taking back that which doesn't belong to you, your very life. Your life is to resemble that of your Lord and Savior who gave himself to save and establish others. This is your example, and that is the example for others to follow. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I, think, I think that's it. Well... You know what? I'm pretty sure the Father highlighted something to you in everything that we just said. The, your intentions in rising up as an officer, they may not be as pure. Your intentions for saying, no, I'm not that, I'm not that man, they're definitely impure. All right? Kind of scary. Yeah. So, let us now tell you something enlightening. Oh, hallelujah. Of why, why you should desire this noble task of an overseer and an officer. We've done enough of stirring your heart. Now we're going to propel you in the right direction. Oh, I want to tell you about the two greatest reasons why you must desire to be an officer. Of why this is noble if you desire it. And how to act in a noble way when you're desiring this. Amen. It's because the first one, the greatest of all, it's because you love your father with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and mind. Amen. That is the first one. Hey, if that is not at the forefront of absolutely everything you desire, that you want, that you pursue, that you do, then it may not be as noble as you think it is. Indeed, when, when your heart is invested, when your life is invested, when your mind and your strength is invested in that being towards God, okay, there is an exchange. There's an exchange of your heart for God's heart. There's an exchange of your soul, your life for God's life. Amen. There's an exchange of your mind and your thoughts for God's thoughts. And your strength, your weak, weak and pitiful strength for His strength. If you actually love Him, which we sung, man, that song today was good. We love you and you love Him. 
then all you want is him. All you crave is him. You want to be closer to him. You want to know him more. You want to shine with him more. Like you can get enough of him. This trumps every single desire in your life. Every fear. Every ambition. Everything that will be ignoble in desiring to be an officer. And, every, and all the reasons, all the ignoble reasons why you say you don't want to be an officer. It trumps all. Amen. The Father is all and your love for Him is overwhelmingly conquerors of your own life, of everything you are. The second one is just as like the first one. If you love your Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what happens is that you end up loving others as yourself. What happens is that you love your neighbors as yourself. Not those who treat you well, but the neighbors, like the Samaritan, like the one that like the Samaritan did it for the Jew, like that. You would lay down your life to love your neighbor as you love yourself because it's propelled from a pure heart after the Father. This means that your burning desire is to see others born again. Yeah. It's to see them set free, to see them established and equipped to carry the calling with joy. Yeah. And you're not thinking of an officer, an overseer as a position. You're thinking of it as what you do, it's what you are. You're in the army and your father is like that. Because your father has given, because you love your father so much, it's compelled you to love your neighbor as yourself. Indeed, 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says that your labor must be propelled by love. Come on, y'all want to hear another reason why you should want to be an officer? Yes. You want to be an overseer, officer, because, well, the enemy is raising rulers and officers in his kingdom of darkness. Some of them are in my fleshly family and yours as well. And sometimes those fleshly officers of the kingdom of darkness are trying to call out to you while you're sitting in this church. You see, the enemy is raising rulers and officers in his kingdom of darkness. And you are simply just not okay with standing by and seeing the enemy plunder those who are intended to be a part of the army of God. We're going to raise up more officers than the enemy. So you rise up like David against Goliath and you get to war. You are also not okay with simply letting Yeshua say that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and you do nothing about it. You understand that there is an urgency in what God is calling us to do, and you're not okay with sitting on the sidelines. You desire to partner with God in the planting, watering, and harvesting work at hand. So you pray for laborers, and you rise up to the noble task that is at hand to be a part of this army, raising up more harvesters. Man, we get to make more of what we are, church. Do you want to make officers? Then become an officer. You are eager to guard the valuable deposit of the kingdom of God inside of you. You guard this good deposit by laboring to see it multiplied in others. That is how the deposit is guarded, by seeing it multiplied in those around you. You actually want to become less and less relevant. This is why you raise others to be like or better than you. You want to hear another reason? Man, there is no better reason to become an officer other than we just burn with zeal for God's house. Like our Lord, you burn with zeal for his house. 
You burn for his family and his army. You're desirous to devote yourself to your father's business because you are zealous just like he is. You rise up, join the uprising to see it grow, mature, and be established. And when you rise up, when it's attacked, like a good shepherd that will give his life defending the flock, oh man, that is the zeal of God rising up in you as you defend the army. And last but not least, you rise up because that is who your father is. He is a man of wars and he is rising up, marching like a champion. He is the king. He is the man of war. He is the good shepherd. And we are his sons, his soldiers, and his saints destined to be just like him. So let's talk about the tension between these two truths. Church, we've already spoken to you about the serious and the, uh, the gravity uh, of this call that to rise up into the position of an officer. We know because we were sitting just like you in this church on Sunday and we heard the message over the past few weeks as well. If you are grappling with the call of God like we are, we know that there are particular pro propensities to rationalize the situation. Knowing that this call is serious and often met with, with wrong motives, we need to address the tension between the two truths that exist in this room right now. Okay, two truths. Truth number one, he has spoken that you must become an, office, an officer, an overseer. He has said it. He's the one that brought you here. That is the word that you're receiving. This is the word for you. This is the aim for everyone in LCM to reach, to rise up and become that which you're called to be. Amen. This is exciting and should cause us to shout for joy. Amen. But how often is this truth in conflict with truth number two? Truth number two is the fact that we're not where we need to be. In fact, if you're like us, it sometimes seems impossible. Yeah. Like, me? No. Cannot be. I can see it. I, I say I believe it, but help my faith. How? When? I mean... I, Please give me a sign, you know. I'm trying as hard. No, this is him. He's trying hard, but he's not yet a sabimbola. We are trying, but we're not seeing it. Maybe Man, you, you are like us. I'm trying as hard as I can. I know I'm working out just as much as Abimbola, but I don't have the muscles like Abimbola yet. Why don't I look like that, man? Church, there is a facet of every Christian life that is often missed, underutilized, and forgotten that we need to regain. In fact, this facet is something you can't live without. Trying to survive the call of God, lacking this tantamount tenet of truth is totally toilsome. If I were to tell you that there is one crucial element to your walk that will change the way you see your life, would you want it? Yeah. Would you beg for it? Oh, man, would you give everything you have just to have it? Would you be surprised that many of you might already have it right now? Oh, would you die for it if you can have it? Would you like to know what it is? It's called hope, church. Look, as we're going to make a turn here and rise up in our hope, let's turn to Psalm 25, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. Say uprising as you turn there. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame 
who are treacherous without excuse. Church, hope starts with lifting up your mind, your will, and emotions to the Lord. This is you surrendering your thoughts, your strength, your ambitions to the Lord. That's where hope begins to rise up. It's a natural, it is natural to fear shame in this process. Walking with the Lord causes you to put it all on the line. We're having to lay everything down. The truth is, though, that the Lord will never fail to achieve that which he has spoken as long as we maintain hope in him and not ourselves. Church, we are moving in the direction that the Lord has spoken to us. We are putting our hope even though we can't see the results right now. So what makes hope so powerful? Oh, let's discover the power of hope. Let's go to Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into, the gra into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Come on. Now, you know why we have hope? Because if you look at what he has already done, it would actually propel you forward. Amen. When I look at the man who I was 10 years ago, it gives me hope for the next 10 years. I can look at what the Father's done in my life, and, and I don't have to be blocked and, and, and just uh, desperate for the position that I'm in right now. I can look to the future with hope because he has done it and he will do it again. Amen. This is the power of hope. When you mix that hope with the expectation that he will indeed do it, presently do it, in your present circumstance, it brings power with it. Let's go into the next verse. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Let's give you a running definition of hope. Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives this definition. Hope is desire, say desire, desire. accompanied by expectation, say expectation, of or belief in fulfillment. So we have a desire that is accompanied or mixed with expectation. You see, when we think about how we get this hope, this verse tells us that suffering causes us to persevere for what we expect to happen. Has any of you suffered in this body? Did that suffering produce a perseverance? This perseverance causes our character to grow along the way as we persevere. This, in turn, produces more hope, or as we can say, more desire accompanied by an expectation. Church, think about this process in your lives. You've suffered for the call of God. Did that suffering make you stronger, a stronger so son of God? Did persevering produce a son of God that grew in the character of his father as you persevered? And because of these things, your hope grew alongside. Yes, seeing what he worked in and through you, you now have a renewed hope of what he will do in the future because you've suffered, because you persevered. And this hope will not disappoint, church. In fact, it will drive you along like a workman's appetite. 
This hope does not disappoint. In fact, it is this hope that you are saved because you cannot give up. You have a desire that is mixed with expectation of what God will do. Amen. That's exactly what Romans 8, 24 and 25 says. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we, for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Saints, you began your race with desire and expectation, right? Yes. A desire and expectation for what you did not have. As you sit here now, you know what God is demanding, what he is calling and inspiring us to become, and you also know what you see presently. This is that tension between two truths, but hope arises in, those, in that tension. However, however bad it may seem, though, truth number two never cancels out truth number one as long as there is hope, and there is still hope, saints. That is, your present reality will never cancel the expected and hopeful reality that God has said will happen. In fact, this hope, this eager desire and expectation produces something in us. It produces a patience, a patient endurance and consistency and the kind of attitude that says, come hell or high water, I will not quit. Amen. I will stand here and be refined and get back up as many times as it takes. That is the power of hope. Let's go to 1 John 3 verse 1. Now this, this verse is near to me. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now, say now, now. we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3 is critical. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Man, as if the first two verses weren't good enough, the third one just puts, it, puts a capstone on it. Being children of God is exciting, but there is more. When he appears, we shall see him as he is. Now, I don't think we meditate on this enough. And I don't think we truly grasp the magnitude of this reality. That you, you cannot see him right now. You may have seen his glory. You may have had a tremendous encounter with him. He may have blown your socks off. But you have not seen him. But there is a hope. It says that you will see him as he is because you will be like him. And verse 3 tells us how. Because you have that hope of seeing him. Yeah. Because it drives you. You have that expectation. Yeah. Because that expectation that a hope empowers you. Then you do something. You purify yourself. Yes. You present yourself holy. You say, Father, cleanse me. Search my heart just like, I, like we did right now. We need your cleansing. I need to know the intentions of my heart that maybe jeopardize me actually taking part in your work. I want to have my intentions pure. I want to be set apart in my intentions, in my thoughts, and in my works. I am going to purify myself, present myself to you, because I have hope of seeing you. Now, church, we've got nine minutes. But I want to tell you something. We are just like you in every way. When we hear 
about the call to make officers in this house, that we will rise up to be officers, I know what my life looks like right now. I see all of the horrible failures that I am, I, I am in. Would it surprise you to know that we had to have pastors come to our house for a sit-down meeting because of my sin a couple weeks ago? That's happening in my life, and yet God has spoken that I will become an officer. You see, there's something in me that won't let me quit. This is hope. This is the desire and expectation for what I know God has spoken to me. Despite my worst failures, I will not stop rising to purify myself and knowing that that will get me where I need to be. You see, this hope will cause you to endure, church. This will cause you to embrace the refinement that is necessary to achieve that which he has called you for. This hope serves you in this sense. And it ensures that you arrive exactly where the Father said you will. When you have a hope that causes you to refine yourself, that's how you're going to get to where you need to be. This hope will work through your life constantly causing you to rise up in the refinement that is needed because you desire what he said and you expect it to happen. This hope will allow you to say like Paul, I am the least of the apostles. Then later in his life, I'm the least of all God's people. Then much later in his life, I am the worst of all sinners, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul did not stop growing in fruit, growing in holiness, and becoming that which he was born for. And we won't stop either because we have a hope. This hope will allow you to push on towards the goal despite your ever-growing awareness of your state because you're drawing closer to God. Amen. Come on, family. We're addressing our hearts, and yet we still have hope. Amen. Knowing that this hope will not disappoint, we're going to rise up into an army that is unstoppable. Amen. Saints, let's relish in that first truth that you've been selected, that God has said that you will be a mighty man. Let's turn to Leviticus 26, 7, and 8, and I'm not going to wait for you to get there to, to start reading. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Saints, this is the offensive nature of God's warfare. The plan is never defensive. It is always on the offense. The warriors of God who are warriors like God, they go on the offensive and they chase their enemies down. If there were physical enemies outside the church right now, and we knew that we were outnumbered, who would stand up and still fight? Come on, that should be everyone in this room. How much more effective are we then when we are attacking the internal enemies as one body? Saints, it's easy to say when we can see an enemy in front of us that we know it is to say, yeah, we're going to stand up and fight. But how much more effective will we be in fighting when we can face our internal enemies together as one? Five of us can chase a hundred of the enemies that we're dealing with. A hundred of us can deal with 10,000 of the enemies that we're facing internally. When we cleanse ourselves from ignoble intentions, this will allow hope to rise in us. When hope is rising in us, we can join the offensive nature of God's war plan. When we face the numerous fears together as one man and attack them with a victorious tenacity, we cannot be stopped, saints. Saints, this was a command from God that you shall chase your enemies down and you shall put them underfoot. 
What we know for certain is that the man who is pursuing God's righteous commands, they walk as bold as a lion. Okay? We are walking in the cadence of God, and we have the confidence and boldness as a lion. Hey, when you're walking in the commands of God with hope, that makes you bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's an unstoppable courage that comes upon you when you have this hope empowering the righteousness to obey Him. Empowering the righteousness to bear yourself before anybody of anything that is in your heart. Searching your intentions, presenting them before the Father, and allowing Him to reign upon you righteousness again. You will not be fleeing from fears, you will not be fleeing from enemies, but you will have a face that is bold as a lion. Amen. Amen. First Chronicles 12. Verse 8, verse 22, verse 38, but starting in verse 8. From the Gadites, there went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Church, you need to know that mighty and experienced warriors were rising up to join David, and they are rising up to join the son of David right now. Amen. They are rising up because of the cleansing of the ignoble intentions and the hope rising within them as they rose up with weapons and with the tenacity for the war campaign of the king that describes them as having the faces of lions they had weapons that needed to be put to use the effectiveness of our warfare is only as good as our employment of the weapons we've been given let your hope rise for what god has given you and the weapons you have in your hand these men weren't born looking like this they were battle-hardened men That's right. who over time became fierce, lion-like warriors because they had a rising hope in the king. They consistently faced their own fears and incapabilities just like you are now and yet rose up, rose up in hope to be the army of David. Come on. Verse 22 says, From day to day men came to David to help him until there was a great army like an army of God. Saints, we have joined with the son of David, Yeshua. We have furthered what the men before us displayed. We're not like an army of God. We are the army of God. Verse 38 says, All these men, all of these men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. Church, we know that our God is a warrior. That is his name. That is his character, his body of work, and his reputation. We have been selected as men of war to join God's army. As God's physical army on this earth, we are joining with his heavenly army by engaging with his, en with his enemies in spiritual warfare. All right. Let's do one more. First Chronicles 14, verse 14. It says... When, face, when David was facing the Philistines, it says, So David inquired of God again. He did what he inquired of God. And God answered him. Do not go directly after them, but circle around them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching the tops of the poplar trees, move out to battle. Because that will mean that God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. Now, if you can catch what this verse is saying... David hungered to inquire for God. He needed to know what God had to say. God gave instructions, and he was partnering with heaven in this, in this matter. God was, 
David was crying out for revelation, and God poured out the revelation. He gave him direction. And as he heard the, the, the marching in the top of the poplar trees, what David did is that he rose up, and he defeated the Philistine army. This is a partnering of heaven and earth in which it requires for us to rise up in action. Church, knowing that the armies of heaven are on our, are on our side, doesn't that give you hope, church? Yeah. Knowing that we are being made officers as we are helped by the officers of heaven, the angels themselves, doesn't that give you hope, church? Yeah. Look, we're going to work towards a close. We would love to read to you Joshua 6, 20, in the battle plan of God, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, the kind of warfare that sets the standard for us to follow, the tactics that are the kingdom's tactics and not our tactics, how his kingdom is filling the whole earth and universe through us. But what you're already starting to know, what you're already starting to experience, is that there are some ignoble intentions that need to be cleansed out of us. There's some areas where hope needs to rise up in us Amen. as well. Amen. Church, those ignoble intentions have always been there. God knew they would be there. And in his sovereignty, he brought you here so that you can have hope. Church, hope is a powerful thing inside of a Christian. It causes a man to not give up when he does not see the fulfillment yet. Church, there's a whole lot of not quit that we can have inside of us in this body. There's a whole lot of rising up in joy and putting smile on our faces that we can have because we know what he has spoken. There is a lot that we can do to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on the king who has called us. He has spoken to us in his righteousness and his character. Your character didn't mean anything when he spoke it. He was already willing to change your character when he said it. We want to read to you one more passage as we close. This is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, a noble heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Church, we're going to cleanse ourselves from ignoble intentions. We're going to cleanse ourselves from paralyzing fear that causes us to think we're not worthy to be officers in the kingdom of God. If you are here tonight, God has deemed you fit to become officers. He has spoken it, and it will happen. We're going to cleanse ourselves tonight. Verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful doesn't rest on your past faithfulness but it does rest on your future faithfulness as you consider God's faithfulness towards you and you put your hope in him let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching that is the unity that will result from our hope rising up. Church, tonight, you cleanse yourself from ignoble intentions. 
If you cleanse yourself from fears and paralyzing thoughts, a hope will rise up in you. I've noticed that people that have no hope is because they do not cleanse themselves of ignoble things. But if you cleanse yourself from ignoble things, a hope will rise up in you. And as hope rises up in us all together as a body, man, we will be unstoppable. An army with hope and courage will not suffer from a lack of morale to fight God's battles. But an army that is rising up in hope will band together. They'll stand shoulder to shoulder. They will not give up meeting together. In fact, they will continually encourage one another to stand. Tonight, if you want to stand, if you want to join the uprising, now is your chance to stand. We're going to pray that God would search our hearts to cleanse us. And we're going to pray that hope rise in this house tonight. Mighty God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the hope that is in you. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to a spot here right now that we can cleanse ourselves. Lord, your word says that everyone who has this hope purifies himself over and over. Lord, we say we have hope in you. We have expectation of what you will do. Lord, cleanse us now so that we may band together and rise up like a mighty army.